Your white phosphorus dual tubes aren't going to show you that tiny little cactus that's going to poke you in the leg and make you scream like a girl and give the position away. Hey guys, this is the Hard Time Strongman Podcast, cheering up a bear class of man. And today we are joined by our special guest, Bush Plaid. Bush Plaid, welcome on, man. Great to have you here. Hey, thanks guys for having me come on. Thanks for coming on. Good to have you. So we've been talking for, what, a couple of months now trying to get you on the show. Having a you know, hard time trying to figure out what to talk about with you just because, you know, looking through your content, your YouTube, your IG, you know, you you cover just such a broad range of of stuff you cover history you cover field craft you know every now and then we see you sprinkle in you know about being a family man and uh i just you know that's where you know i you know have a lot of interest just because you know being a father too it's uh a big passion of mine to raise up my you know my boys as young men in this you know as i'm as i'm supposed to and gain my you know, wife on the same page with trying to make our family more, uh, you know, I guess more, more focused on, on lasting, you know, living how we're, you know, traditionally how people have lived and, you know, bring community together. So, yeah. uh, that to say, it's great to have you on, man. I'm really excited for the conversation and, and where, uh, where it's going to go. So for the guys who don't know who you are, uh, you're Bush Plaid, you're on IG, you're on, you too. I saw you have a website. Do you want to talk a little bit about yourself and um, you know what your goals are and what you try to do? Yeah. So um, I'm a, I'm a Navy vet. Uh, my wife and I met in the Navy together. She stayed in. I got out. Um, I went and did some contracting for the Department of Navy for 18 months. And then when her maternity leave was done for our first kiddo, I quit and I became a stay-at-home dad. And I basically have been a stay-at-home dad... I say on and off because I have worked some jobs in between, but I've always ended up leaving the job to be, go back to being a stay-at-home dad because she's, up until recently, been pursuing a career in the military. She went from the Navy to the Army. Army uh, sucks. <laughs> um, her command is... Naturally. Her command is... Can't confirm. Have, it has a lot to be desired, and um, so she's done. So for the last almost a decade, I've just been a stay-at-home dad and and on and off. Um, I did some security gigs when she uh, when she was a, a student at an actual college because she she just finished her bachelor's this spring from, but she was actually a student at a college for a full year. I was a security officer, so like she went to school, I worked at the cool. school, kids were at, the, at daycare. We get done, we pick them up, and it was kind of like just a, a very. It was the only time in our whole existence where it was just very. I wouldn't say white picket because we were in rural Maine, so it was a lot of white snow. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was a lot of fun. So you know, and and in all of that, I've constantly you know shooting fire shooting slash firearms, field craft slash bushcraft, and just outdoorsman woodsman type things i mean i've been doing that since i was a little kid but i you know yeah. growing up in, in um in as a teenager in high school i went to maine conservation school um for five summers in a row where i did courses in um 
primitive skills, bushcraft, and then it all culminated in a, um, the last summer was called May, uh, Junior Maine Guide. So in the state of Maine, you actually have to be licensed by the state to guide people, literally guide people for hunting, fishing, whitewater rafting, sea kayaking, and like recreational. And so Junior Maine Guide is for kids age um, 13 to 17. And they go and they, what's called a testing encampment. And you go and you do a week long of tests. It's, it culminates, it's 20 tests. You have to pass 16 out of the 20 tests to become a certified, a certified junior main guide. Um, and so that was my like last summer as a teenager. I did that and I, I got it. And then the next summer was the summer in between, you know, graduating and joining the Navy. So I grew up doing that. I grew up hunting. I can fish. I hate fishing, but I can fish. Um, and now since we've been here in El Paso, you know, I did that. I got into the Navy. Um, you know, I worked a lot in the Navy, so I didn't have a lot of time. I was just doing my job. I didn't have a lot of time to go out and like do field crafty, bush crafty stuff. Um, but then once I got out, I started getting back into it. And now since we've been here and the boys are both now school age, that gives me time in the afternoon to actually go out and do stuff. And, you know, we're so close here in El Paso to other places in New Mexico that I get to almost every weekend we get to go do something. Like today, we went up to uh, the Rio Grande in New Mexico and um, what's it called? Prehistoric Trackways National Monument, which is at the base of the Robodelo Mountains. And I got to go do some tracking practice and just got to go up and down the washes while the boys took a nap. Because that's kind of become our MO. We go do a family day trip or a hike or something and when we're done with it the boys take a nap in the car and i get to go off for an hour or two and do whatever i want Dude, that's so awesome so that's great i i and I'm, I'm blessed because once sarah's get it once sarah's done with the army by february next year we're moving back to the east coast back to the carolinas and i'll be okay working again boy you know both boys will be full-time in school and um i'll be working so I'm taking advantage of it as much as I can now. Um, yeah. You know, and, and, and enjoying it because the Southwest is just, it's incredible. Because, like, within two hours from me, there's half a dozen different environments that you don't see anywhere else in the country. So, it, and it's nice. I It sounds cliche to say keeps you on your toes, but it really does because I can go from here to here to here. And it's different gear, different, not tactics, but a different environment and like the things you would do in that environment, um, yeah, especially like tracking. So yeah, living yeah. the dream. Um, what, what, what environments are you talking about? So there's six different, well, I'm in the Tularosa Basin, El Paso's on the southern end of it. And then Mexico and Juarez, it goes basically down all the way um, into Mexico. It's where a giant uh, glacier was, and there's like six different mountain ranges on either side of the basin, and they're all different types of environments in each mountain range. The Franklin Mountains are just arid and desert. The Oregon Mountains are arid and desert, but the higher you get up, it turns into uh, pine and juniper, like almost alpine. you got the Waco Mountains, it's just nothing but rocks. Sacramento Mountains, which are the highest ones, which have... You know, pine trees. It's like legitimate forest, pine forest. Wow. And um, the San Andreas Mountains, which 
are within the White Sands Missile Range. And there's actually, um, what is it? The San Andreas Wildlife Refuge is within the missile range itself. So there's no public access and it's restricted. There's no public access. And it's one of the last, what, how did they put it? It's one of the last untouched um, Southwest desert mountain ranges in the country where there's nothing. There's no trails. Humans don't go there. And there's a, I think it's a type of bighorn sheep that actually lives just in those mountains. So it's those, it's all of that. And then you've got white sands, which is the actual white sand, um, which I've gone and done some tracking and some other things up in the dunes up there. Then you have red sands, which is farther south, which is literally red sand. And it's these mesquite outcrops, copuses. And it's just, you kind of just wind your way through the sand dunes and these mesquite bushes. And that's all within two hours. So, like, if if I want to go up to the high the high forest, we go up to the mountains, the high forest, and freaking, I'm in a a forest wooded environment. And then next week I could go to Red Sands and spend you know three hours doing a loop, just walking through these red sand dunes with the um, mesquite bushes. And it's just it, That's it's so cool. It's a lot of and it's cool because it gets I get to test out and do different things, like that most recent post I did on Instagram about the cold weather stuff. You yeah. wouldn't necessarily use that, and you wouldn't think you'd use that in the desert, but with how dry it is here and how mm. cracked and dry you can get from being out in a desert environment in the winter, that's kind of why I try to tie those kind of field crafty posts into, um, you know, what I do. Right. So. That's awesome. That also reminds me of my hometown. I grew up in Oregon, and you could drive two hours, and like you said, I could be at the beach. I could be in yeah. a mountain range. I could be in a desert, you know, just yeah. crazy, you know, the crazy shift. Yes. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, I was job we were stationed like... up in the Pacific North. We were up in Washington. So, I mean, close to Oregon and mm-hmm. where we were on the Puget Sound, you go this way and there's freaking Cascade Mountains. You go this way, you go out towards Yakima and it's kind of like arid, you know, tundra almost. You go to the beach and it's just... I don't think people, well, I don't know. I don't, I wouldn't say people are small minded, but I don't think people take the time to actually like look outside of like a quick drive. Does that make sense? A lot of people like think two hours is a long drive when it's like, okay, it's, it's two hours, but look what you get to go do. You know what I mean? And that's most people's lives are within a 30, 45 minute drive. I know it's crazy. They live their life in a bubble. Yeah. My, my in-laws are kind of like that where my wife is from central Carolina Like when we've gone and visited and we're like, we're going to go see this civil war battlefield and it's an hour and 10 minutes away. And they're like an hour, 10 minutes. Might as well take the whole day. And it's like, well, we are going to take the whole day. It's a day trip. They've never seen it, right? No, they've never never been to it. They've heard about it, but it's an hour and 10 minutes away and never been to it. It's like, dude, just drive. I guess what we did when we were in Washington, a lot of the places we went to were in Maine. Because we were in Washington and we went to Maine. And even in Maine, I mean, most can't. The, the phrase in Maine is you can't get there from here. Like, you've got to drive to get to a place, you know? Yeah, so, that's any, cold. <laughs> any day trip we wanted to do, we wanted to go to the mountains. It was an hour and a half, hour 45 away. We wanted to go to the beach. It was an hour, hour and a half that's away. How, that's how I felt in Texas. 
when we had to, because we've had to go up to um, to Maryland for my school. You know, my fam- all my family lives in Oregon, so yeah. You know, we drive, and Texas is the only place I've ever been where you could drive all day. At the end of the day, you still be there. You, eight hours, dude. I was, you can drive eight like, hours in any direction and still be in Texas, bro. I was bro, like, what it, is going on? If you measure, <laughs> if you measure it from El Paso, Texas, this is so depressing. From El Paso, Texas to Venice Beach, California is shorter than El Paso, Texas to Galveston, Texas. You can get Goodness. to the beach in California quicker than you can to the beach in Texas. Like That's it's sick. And, 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 and every time we've talked about going and visiting family back east, like you don't really realize it because where El Paso is and, and the highway, highway 10 comes across this way, comes, comes, is, is, it goes 10 and up. It's the most southern U.S. highway, right? Where we are in line with uh, Highway 25 goes all the way up to freaking Montana. Like, we're that far west. And I told, I told Sarah, I was like, look, if we gotta want to go visit people, it's going to take us three days. Because it literally will take an entire day just to get from here, from El Paso, to East Texas. It's just... Insanity. It's a bad... It's just... Everything's bigger in Texas. Huh. It's insanity. <laughs> well, it's and insanity. what's this? Texas yeah. is what? The second biggest state? And I think Montana's like third. No, fourth. Montana's massive. It goes Alaska, Texas, California, Montana. And it's like one of those, yeah. pl- those are the places like you could drive, like you said, eight hours in any direction and it's just, you're still there. <laughs> so, um, Good Lord. Crazy to think. Hold on, rewind that back. What were we? Oh, the different environments, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah, so and I've I found that East Texas, uh, West Texas sucks. West Texas, there is nothing but bushes and rocks, and so we end up spending all our time in New Mexico. New Mexico is a hidden gem. It is. In, I mean, they call it the land. Its motto is the land of enchantment. It is the mountains. The Oregon Mountains here in, in New Mexico, which I go to quite a bit, and I've seen mountains all over the world, in Europe, uh, here in the United States. The Oregon Mountains in New Mexico are the most gorgeous mountains I've ever seen. It's, it's a mountain range that when we come around the turn and you actually see the whole, the Oregons, the, these craggy peaks, every time I see it, it takes my freaking breath away. And I just, I've, yeah. I don't know how many times I've gotten, in, I say gotten in trouble, Sarah yells at me because I end up swerving into the shoulder onto the rumble strip because I'm paying attention more to the looking, mountains. Yeah. It's just, and it's, and it's, it's right here. It's right here. You know, you don't have to go far to get to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's one of the things with this whole field craft. You know, I get a lot of guys messaging me on Instagram, like, you know, where do you go? Where do you go? Or have you ever had anybody call the cops on you? Blah blah blah. It's like, dude, do you understand how much public land there is in the United States? Like, it's you can literally go to a national forest. Obviously, within the state's regulations, like New York or Illinois or California, with with firearms, but you can go to any national forest in the country and just carry your gun wherever you want. And you can. Yeah. In, in we'll most, talk about hidden gem, right? It is, and and it in most national forests. They're like their shooting regulations average is 200 yards away from anything a trailhead, a trail, mm-hmm. a building, a body of water, and you can just shoot. Like, obviously, they don't want yeah. you to shoot at 
trees and use trees as a backstop. But you can just like take your freaking steel plate and your whatever, your long range rifle and just go hike in the middle of the national forest, set it up and just shoot and do whatever you want and then yep. camp and then shoot again. <laughs> and people don't realize that. I'm like, dude, look at your state, find a national forest and just drive there. You know, well, it makes me think of when uh, we went for Six's bachelor party. We went out to Tennessee and our cabin, uh, you could go up to the second floor out the window and you'd look out at the Smoky Mountains <laughs> National Park. And you're just looking and you're like, whoa, because it's just there's just not it's yeah, just nothing. Like, I mean, it's gorgeous, just but there's just no one. It's just, just pine. Oh, my God. And I'm like, oh, my. And I'm like, people live here. Like, this isn't, is that, isn't that the best places to go when you go to a place and you're just like, people actually live here. <laughs> like, yeah. it's not just a vacation we for out. some people. Yeah, and we went out, we went hiking one time, and I was just looking out, and you get to this waterfall, and you'd, like, look out, it's just this mountain range, I'm like, people, people just, this is a daily right? for some people. And that like, it, it make, it, that's made me freaking, I didn't take for granted living in New England, but living out here, oh, God, do I miss the green, and do I miss water. Yeah. When I was, I was up in the Oregons, what, two weeks ago with a buddy, and, um, and freaking, <laughs> and we found this little stream that's uh, uh snow melt first running water i've seen in the desert the entire time we've lived here like and that's with the rains and stuff we've had like it was an actual running stream and it was just like i was like oh my god i miss home as in like the east coast because like i was like staring at running water and my buddy was like you're right i'm like dude i haven't seen this in years like literally years it's, like, it's running water understand. It's just, I mean, there's running water up like in the Sacramento mountains and whatnot because it's a high. They got springs and stuff up there. Yeah. But down here where, where I normally am, oh god! And the great, I like, but you're the like great, dude, this is magic. It is well, and the, like you talk about the Great Smoky Mountains, just green people, people back east, people east of the Mississippi. I feel like take the greenery for granted until you come out somewhere like El Paso and you're like, oh my god, everything's just poop brown colored and and dry and there's dust everywhere well i mean even when you hit like central texas like nothing's a real tree anymore it's just cedar brush yeah yeah i'm just like yeah. you know i'm either stuck in a cedar brush or i'm sitting on a cactus or like i'm like oh god busting my on shale like it's just oh, it's dude, miserable don't, don't, don't <laughs> get me started on the shale oh my god this is the worst it's you know how many pairs of cami pants i've torn just sitting down like taking it, sitting down and eat my lunch, and I get up, just freaking mm-hmm. the seat of. I have two pairs of desert tiger stripe pants, and the seat of one of them. I don't know how, and I, I'm not a great sewer seamstress, but I can sew. But I don't know how many freaking stitch lines those pants. They're, they're not even worth wearing anymore. It's the it's the shale, and it's it's just everything out west. It doesn't want to kill you. It just wants to poke you. And that's, and that it's just so, it's not scary. It's just so obnoxious. Cause like today where I was, I was just walking, wasn't paying attention, leg scraped against a weird looking cactus thing. And I had to stop and I spent five minutes pulling a dozen little cactus freaking, not barbs, but you know, cactus spikes out of my leg. And it's just, yeah. So. Guess this is I mean, life it, now. Huh? Yeah. I mean, at least to me, it seems like you have like a 
at least a great appreciation of the environment and the different environments that you've like at least gone out in do you have a favorite that you tend to draw towards what like in in general or here in the southwest i mean honestly in the southwest because i haven't been out that way so it it, so it makes me curious so here in the southwest there's like the basin that i'm in because because basically the southwest is just literally mountain ranges and they're not valleys because they're so wide they're basins Mm -hmm. because they were all formed by massive glaciers right but it's literally mountains and basins and mountains and basins and some of them are like here with the franklins right here where they're super dry but like ones like the organs which are the farther north into new mexico you go it's like a mixture the low part of the mountain has the cactuses and the yuccas and whatnot and then the higher you get up you get juniper and spruce and pine and it's just it's you can smell it the farther you go up especially in the hot sun you can start smelling the juniper it smells like gin like i don't know how many hikes i've been on and i'm walking up the mountain and it smells like gin. it's it's incredible and um it smells like freedom and fresh air literally right so freaking walking up that 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 kind of mountain so what is that it's semi-arid mountainous environment is is really interesting because the sacramento's here is like a high pines forest so it's kind of like back home um you know you only get a couple types of trees in it the most challenging aspect of that is you're at nine thousand five hundred feet most of your hikes you know, between 9,500 and 10,000. And that's from living down here at 3,500 feet to go up there and go hiking for the day. It, it'll kick, especially if you have any type of kit, it'll kick your ass, you know? Yeah. And we're coming from where yeah. were we in Maine, where we were, I think we were 53 feet above sea level. And then coming here to El Paso, yes. I'm 3,500 feet above sea level. Like even at the gym, I'll still, while I'm lifting, sometimes just have to stop and like catch my breath because it's it's just it's not thinner air it's just a higher altitude you know kids who live out here in west texas who go play kids back in east texas they they run faster when they go back east because there's this plat um once you get west of san antonio you you start to go up and down a little bit but there's this plat which brings you up onto a plateau um, near Sierra Blanca in Texas. And once you get up to it, you get up to about 4,300 feet. And then it, you crest over those mountains and it drops you here on this side of it. And everything on the side of it is 3,600 and, and up towards all the way towards freaking Arizona. Um, it's just, and those higher elevations, like I, I enjoy going up the Sacramento Mountains. But like I said, it's it's green and it's nice to get away from here. But I've already, I grew up in that kind of environment. But like yeah. in all around environment, one of the reasons I'm glad we're moving back to the East Coast, an all around environment would be just like a temperate woodland environment where like you can actually wear green camis and like you don't have to worry about where you're going to get your water. That's my That's yeah. my ideal environment because in a temperate woodland environment too, when you're talking, I don't want to say tactically but tactics wise i'm growing up in maine and hunting in maine i i was using a 30 30 with iron sights because you couldn't see farther than 75 yards and it just you know it i I find that to be a a hell of a lot easier place to 
do things in than the, the wide open desert or even somewhere like I yeah. could I couldn't imagine the dudes who are stationed up before Carson and they're at freaking you know they're going up oh. and doing their they're doing their rucks and their daily runs at freaking 6,000 7,000 feet and it's just like no thank you no thank you yeah, I like that's, that's that's hell I like the green in the ocean so with the so with the different environments with you know with your channel pushing you know field craft and just really uh you know, no nonsense, you know, applicable things with, you know, historical context. What would you see are, I guess what I want to ask is what would you say is the greatest benefit for, you know, you focusing on field craft in the context of, of conflict? So, well, oh, so field craft and I guess in conflict would be, I think, I think in the last 20 years, Western militaries have become so skewed through the global war on terror and and the direct action door kicker nonsense. I'm not saying it's nonsense. Mm. It has its time and place. But for the last 20 years, it's I, I mean, yeah, they were, well, even then, you know, guys were on patrol and they still had to take compounds, which is technically CQB direct action because they're, they're right there. They're, they, you know, they come across IEDs and combatants right, you know, right in front of them. As opposed right. to, like, an, not an actual infantry war, but a war where soldiers have to sustain themselves in a in an environment. And I feel like the military, I feel like, but it also is true that the military has kind of gravitated away from that from the last 20 years of conflict. And fieldcraft, yeah. you know, if you don't, as much as, it sounds like guys harp on it, but, but it's an important thing to harp on. Like, if you don't know how to make a fire... Or purify water, and I'm not talking about here in a desert environment, but just generally speaking, you're because you know I, I posted something. Remember, remember my page was Rhodes plaid before yeah. it got zucked and became bush plaid, right? And it was probably mm-hmm. back in September or something. I posted about the field crafty stuff, um, purifying water, and you know X, Y, and Z, and and my methods of doing it. And somebody in the comments said. You know, um, in layman's terms, you wouldn't be purifying 15 gallons of water, blah, blah, blah. It's like, dude, if you're if you're in a forward uh, environment and you're out of water, you're going to make a a full stop. You're going to find water and you're going to get everybody water because what and people talk what's going on in Ukraine. But it shows just the logistical nightmare of a modern war. Well, modern modernly equipped war they're, they're dude they're fighting in trenches still yeah you know i read it i read um an interview not not on instagram it was an interview i think my pop sent me the link uh it was a ukrainian soldier saying that when they were digging trenches they dug up the remains the bones of soviet soldiers that had been Goodness. that fought there during the second world war they were dr- digging trenches in fighting positions that were in the same place 80 years ago. Like, so it's just, wow. it, it's just, I, I don't think anybody was ready for it too. And I don't think the, I don't think the U S military is ready for it there. I was, what was the article a couple two months ago where the, they're just starting to teach army cooks, um, sustainability, uh, like meat preservation because we're, we've been so reliant on, and that, Rewinding back to your initial question about field craft and conflict, we're so reliant on technology 
in logistics today. You know, for 20 years, we had guys going on a patrol, going to quote unquote kick down doors, and they brought their 72 hour, their assault pack. And well, we're going to be back. It, it literally, I, I had this conversation with somebody the other day talking about like, like how it wasn't Black Hawk Down. You're not going to need that, dude. We're going to be back before it's dark. <laughs> back before dark. Seriously. Right? You know what I mean? Like these, you know, and, and the thing is, for the most part, in the global war on terror, that was true. You know, you're not going to need that, dude. It's a three-day patrol. And it was because they got Xville and they're done. But, yeah, uh, you know, I if I don't think a modern, like, infantry squad or a cab scout squad, and I do count them because, you know, that's the majority of the soldiers here on Fort Bliss, Ab Scouts, right? Um, I don't think, you know, in talking with the guys in my wife's unit and talking with buddies here that live in housing here, like, none of them know how to do any tracking. None of them know how. Like, I got a new buddy right across the street. Great guy. He's been in infantry. He's an 11 Bravo. He's been an infantryman for nine years. But, you know, I, I showed him my war room, um, and I kind of – with hanging out and stuff i took him out up to the organs and he asked me like hey can you show me some of like the field crafty stuff like shelters and fire starting stuff and he's been in the he's been in the army for nine years yeah like think about that like he's he's an infantryman so when we were in right we were in a mounted unit yeah right so we were mechanized yeah we'd go out if we had to go out we'd go out if we had to stay out, you know, during a FTX, we would stay and we would sleep by our vehicles. Right. Never more than, you know, 20, 30 yards away from our vehicles. We'd had all our rucks attached to our vehicles. Right. All our sustainment, all our comms, everything on that vehicle. If that vehicle went down, we'd cross load onto another vehicle. Yeah. Right. Not... I don't think not one person knew how to make fire. Not one person how knew how to make shelter. You know, forget about water. We had you know water buffaloes that followed us everywhere. And that's you know, the, that's, it's just that's the thing. I, I watched an interview. I watched an interview. A Brit. Uh, he was a Brit who was a reservist in the British Army, and then he went to fight in Ukraine at the beginning. Came back for a little bit and went back. One of the first things. He, one of the things he brought with him was like three canteen cups, because. He knew from oh uh, no, two canteen cups and three mess tins because he knew from from watching the war from 2014 until it became that it was going to be a lot of static things and sitting and being self you know, kind of self sustaining, and he said he, the the Western volunteers that were coming in with no canteens. No, like, canteen cups or something to do that. And the amount of guys that are, like, trading him cigarettes and full meals just to heat up their tea and coffee because they don't have wow. it. And you think about that. That's And that's West. That's Western volunteers coming in, either they're veterans or, or, you know, they never served or whatnot. But they're coming in, and the guys don't think about things like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And what you just said about your guys, like, being so being mechanized and being so close to your vehicle – the line stops eventually when it comes to logistics and like the water buffalo is following you and, and the vehicle. Well, think about Russia with that 40 yeah, miles long I was going to mention that. Bruh. Road of all their trucks. I mean, we've like, and that's what you know, we're saying with, you know, I totally agree that 
no, yeah, I'd say no modern, uh, no modern military is ready for a peer on peer fight anymore. Well, here's the thing. You know, we become so pacified because, you know, that mile long, that's not, you know, that's not the exception. That would be the norm. Right. Well, I don't, dude, Russia's not a peer. They're not. Dude, they're not a peer. They're the only thing they're peer on is the amount of nukes they have. But it's, they're not actually, they're not actually a peer threat. Look, Ukraine is spanking them on the daily with our arms, right? They're spanking them with our arms. Um, but they're, they're, you know, the only clo- like the closest thing to a peer we would have is China. And that's just by numbers. Yeah, they've got mm-hmm. a lot of technology. But like, and even if, even if something kicked off with China, it wouldn't be a mainland thing. It would turn into island hopping. Which mm-hmm. has its own has its own, own freaking series of freaking you know difficulties, but yeah, talk just logistics. People rely too much, and like these and her and her chain of command, my wife's chain of command, just their logistics with getting things fixed. You know how many people they just leave sitting for days to get something fixed, and that's in a training environment in the field here. Hey, our 88 broke down, and the 88 driver and another 91 Mike sit in the 88 for three days waiting for a tow. Here. Well, the right about here. NTC. Yeah, so U.S. Army NTC, if you're, you know, if you're a striker, if you're a Humvee, if anything that you need goes down, your driver's hanging out at that, you know, that mechanic, uh, mechanic's corner yeah. in that motor pool, and he's waiting. <laughs> we had a guy who... Our vehicle went down, and he was waiting for over a week. Oh, oh, oh just yes. sitting there, not it, doing anything. No one was tracking him. No one was in communication with him. Just hanging out with his vehicle, dude. You see that? Because that's that's just knows? insane in a training environment. You know, when I was there, end of all of her and came back. She was gone for forty days, right? When they when her unit got into her company got into the box, they went black on water day two, day four, and day seven. Listen, 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 listen. That is stateside. Where this isn't Iraq. This isn't Afghanistan. They're not in the middle of nowhere. They're in the box. And they went black three times. And the first time they went black, it was 115 that day, and they went black. And she became, she went down as a heat cat and later three other people after her. She was a, she was a, what was it? White, what was it called? White sail. She was a white sail for six days. She had heart issues. She had something going on with her chest and her heart. Uh, dizziness, blah, blah, blah. All avoidable. And this is coming from her chain of command that when they were in the week, the week before you go for the two weeks in the box, it was 110 and guys were taking off their blouses and walking around in their skivvy shirt and their their trousers, their cami pants, and the fucking sergeant major and the and the battalion commander were yelling at everybody to put their blouses back on. In 110 degrees, and the sergeant major comes up to my wife and says, "You need to do your job, and make sure everybody is uniform." And she said, "No, sergeant major, you need to do your job." And she just turned around and walked away because it's 110. They had 20 heat casualties in that one week in the rear. Before they went to the box, and Dude, those guys, wow. those guys who were key, key casualties in that week, then spent the next three weeks at White Sail doing nothing, and then I and what happened? What happened? The cycle with with 
they had uh, one guy killed himself. One guy, what? one guy died as a heat casualty, and another guy lost his arm from the elbow down because an uh, 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 eighty-eight door fell on it. Oh my god, dude, dude, what? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not making this up. It's if this is all happening in California, and it's a, supposed to be a, a scripted training exercise, you imagine what would happen if we went. And yes, okay, using the term a peer on peer, like if we ended up on the ground, Russia is the tier below us. But when it comes head to head, because the other thing too is we don't, we've had all these armaments and everything, the vehicle, vehicle wise armaments. Uh, her, her company commanders, um, Bradley, was used in Gulf War One. In 1991, there's still. She said that there's like uh, they they purposefully. It's like a tradition thing. There's a little piece of graffiti inside it, in her command, and the commander picked that one because of it. But there's a graffiti thing that says like Saddam, something 90, uh, the date 1991, and they've left it for 30 years. And that's the Bradley that yeah, her that commander tracks. would take over to freaking pull, uh, you know, Ukraine tomorrow if they shipped everybody. And the thing right. is, well, and that's the thing. So even if there's not, you know, even if Russia isn't, you know, a peer, right? Right. They're they're not relying on, you know, they're not hanging out in caves. They're relying on IEDs, like this, like actual, you know, force right. on force conflict. True. Right. Right. So how about how about instead of peer on peer, force on force, force that, on force, as opposed okay. to like a counter terror, you know, what with the last twenty years, yeah, force on force, Russia versus like, and not even NATO. Because I had this, I had this. It wasn't an argument; it was discussion with a, a group chat I, w- I was in a while ago. To be completely honest, the the European militaries, the Western European militaries, their armies, their are their armies, their their professional soldiers, in my opinion, are better and more professional than just a regular U.S. Army Eleven Bravo. I'd take a Danish infantryman over an American infantryman. Because you, you want to know what? One of the big things we were just talking about for Irwin and training, it, every foreign soldier I've talked to, their their number one complaint or their issue with the U.S. military as a whole is the amount of deaths we have in training. Like the training that those militaries do are so not scripted, but safe, and they follow a specific protocol. Deaths and trainings, there's no excuse for it. There, There is no excuse. We gotta have at least one death at NTC for it to be a successful cycle. What the? F- like really? <laughs> no, that was something somebody said. Well, now whether that's whether that's supposed to be satire or not, that's not funny. It's California. I mean, can you imagine had, being the parent. We went. Of, we had someone crushed by two strikers. Can you imagine being the parent of that kid, getting that letter, getting that phone call, getting getting a chaplain? Hey, your son. Died from f***ing heat stroke in Fort Irwin, California. You know, it's just so rewinding. The you know European militaries they I, they take a lot of safe things to safeguard casualties in training, and I think that trans also translate to translates to their their capabilities in the field or in an actual environment. They're tr- and and the other thing too is when their guys train, they f***ing train. And like everything is allocated, like food. They, here, here they just have you know in the United States military, there's just MREs everywhere. 
in in a foreign military from through the guys that I've talked to, like the the commander requisitions X amount of meals for X amount of days, and that's it. And that's and they, everybody has everything. You're not running black on water two days into a training cycle. Like their logist European logistics, and yeah, the um, the argument is well they're smaller and everything. Okay, but but they're st- they still get the job done. And and we're we're so much bigger. Shouldn't we be better at it? We have so much more money and resources that we should be able to do it better than fucking the Netherlands, the French. Christ, everybody's the on the French. I take a... anymore. Wait, say that again. Sorry, I mean no. step over you. I was just saying. I think the problem is we don't have any pride anymore. And yeah, the pride's gone. There's there's what I I would say maybe the eight, most of the eighty second and. I mean, Fort Drum itself sucks, but like most of the the tenth Mountain guys I've met, they're about they're about it when it comes to the army and like guys being proud of like the unit they're in. I've never met a, a guy here being proud of being in the first armored division, other than the chain of command. Like, no, no one's gonna be proud of being you know and you know or whatever. Ugh. You know, like I feel like once you get to like you know Ranger Bat. Or things like that, then. And even then, but there's yeah. there's special there's special unit there's there's specialty unit. You know what I mean? Like, and you have to pass. It's not like any Tom, Dick, and Harry can get assigned to that unit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, I think the twenty years of this war also turned, especially with the lowering the standards at the beginning in the middle of the war, turned it into. I don't know a better what better way to say it turned it into more of a welfare state. Welfare. You know how yeah. many you know how many guys I served with in the Navy, and we're, this is the Navy. This is you know mastered arms, you know an MP. How many people I was served with that? Well, Why did you join the Navy? Oh, I had nothing better going on, so I thought I'd join the Navy. Here I am. The f- like they just did it. They just did it, and it's not even not even for the benefits. So I had nothing better going, so I just joined the Navy. Like that's how you end up as a cook. You know, I wanted to I wanted to be in the military. Uh, four years old. Sanzi Iwo Jima, John Wayne. I'm going to be a Marine. Uh, Marine Corps recruiter, blah, blah, blah. I had um, a, a, a misdiagnosis of psoriasis that the Marine recruiter was like, well, now that you told me, we've got to send the paperwork to BUMED. And I went to the Navy recruiter and I explained to him, I was like, go get, they said, go get somebody to say that it's not psoriasis and you'll be good. Went to my doctor, got a free, uh, uh, referral to a dermatologist, and he was like, oh, no, it's dermatitis. And there I am in the Navy. Like, so I always wanted, and then lo and behold, I joined the Navy as a master at arms thinking, I'm going to be base police, or I'm going to be a, a, a master at arms on a aircraft carrier. Nope. Nope. I'm, I'm with Marine Corps Security Force Battalion Banger in, in freaking Silverdale, Washington, and I get treated like a Marine for the next three years. So I didn't get to be in the Marine Corps, but I got to get, I got treated like a Marine for freaking three years. So, and I honestly, we, Sarah and I joke about all the time because we have two buddies here who were in the first armored division who served in the Marine battalion with us. They got out and they went straight into the army. She stayed in the Navy, blah, blah, blah. And they're freaking here. We had Thanksgiving with one of them. And the other one, um, he was one of the guys I went up to the mountains with. He was a uh, 0311 okay. in the Marine Corps. Join the army as an 11 Bravo and he's freaking here, you know, and I would take a Marine infantryman over an army infantryman any day of the week. Now with all the new 
that's going on in the Marine Corps. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about because even every fucking Marine is prideful. There you go. Going back to what you said, it's pride. The Marines are so prideful of being a fucking Marine, and it shows in everything they do. And in the Army, it's just guy. It's just so sad. You know, I'm sitting in the parking lot. Sarah's running to the commissary, and I'm seeing these guys walking around in uniform, and they're just kind of like moping around. You know what I mean? It's just, I don't know. It's sad. And well, it's like the baggy uniform, their caps, you know, pulled up, smoking yeah. a cigarette, walking around, talking on their phone, or you know, whatever. There's no pride in the uniform. There's no pride in what you're doing. There's no violence of action. No, nope. like focus. You know, no. like you said, and that well, comes down state. to the environment that they're in in their in their command because the day to late. The day-to-day life, speaking as an infantryman, sucks. It is terrible. Right. Daily operations are terrible as an infantryman. You get treated like janitors. You aren't recognized as like the actual fighting force, the tip of the spear of the army. You're recognized as someone who's going to go around and cut the grass of the commissary. That's it. Yeah. It's just, I. Well, there's no until you're at a promotion ceremony or whatever else where like, oh, you're. You know, such and such, yeah. whatever. And it's, you know, it's <laughs> no, and it's just the commands. And I'm, I'm not throwing any command under the bus, but every single command I've seen in in uh, here with the, especially any of these commands, they they're. So I was I was only in one command in the navy, but like I told you at the beginning, I've been Sarah and I have been together, and she's she's done. Law enforcement. Uh, um, she was a desk sergeant when she had a pregnancy order, so a completely different job than like a beat cop, like law enforcement. Then she was a recruiter, where she w- and she was the only prior service recruiter in the entire state of Maine. So look at Maine, and she was the one recruiter for the entire state as a prior service recruiter, right? So I I drove her around the entire state, helping her liter- literally helping her do her job because she's not from there. I know where all the places are and everything. And so I, it's, like I said, I haven't lived vicariously through her service, but we've been doing it together because I enjoy it until she joined the army. And, and, and with the Marines, the Marines we served with, with the Navy command she was with, with, I, dude, with Rhodey's plaid at its height, I, I was talking with guys in a dozen different militaries all over the country, all over the world and, and, and getting information and just talking with them just in general this command and these these got they're the it's the worst leadership i've ever seen slash heard of because i've seen it first person but i've also heard more stories from other dudes in other units in it's terrible and it's like 20 years of gwat has made officers just worried about their own career and their advancement to the next rank and looking good for the people above them that they don't, they don't take in. No, it's not even that they don't take into account. There's just a blatant disregard for the lower enlisted, and even the senior enlisted. Which, which imagine being an E8, and the the O3 and the O5. You you see them and they don't. It, you can tell that they don't care about you. Why would you then care about your fucking E3s and E4s? But what you just said, it's it's the command environment. It's and yeah. it's it's sad because how big the military is. It is a massive organization. It is, and just the complete lack of capability 
is so disheartening because you know you'll see and you're granted these are movies right but you know you'll watch something like saving private ryan where tom hanks will be yelling hey here's your orders and he was like oh well we've got to go you know three towns that way right and you know complete this mission and they had the autonomy and there you go right and you know, you'd go and do it you'd go and figure it out your sustainment all right if you had to, you know any exactly. actions on contact any actions going to contact anything you would figure it out and you'd have to go get the mission done here you know like you said the you know the curse of gwat if anything goes wrong along the way everything is full stop and we have to handle that little thing before we can complete the mission and we don't have sustainment along the way because we didn't allocate for an emergency to happen in combat you ready for this you ready for this you screw the pooch you're you're saving private ryan analogy and the gwat that you ready for this world war ii german army they they their chain of command stopped at the i don't know what the german word for was sergeant their nco if their nco died the soldiers didn't have any tertiary plans and there wasn't anybody else to pick up the slack. What you just said about saving Private Ryan in World War II in the U.S. Army, here's your mission, regardless of the size of the unit, and they went and did it. And that was the difference between the Allies, the Americans, and like the Germans, was that the Germans had a very strict chain of command, and if Ulstufger was dead, what do we do? I don't know, what do we do, Hans? And they didn't, they freaking, they didn't have a freaking plan of action. Now, some units did, yes, blah, blah, people, people can argue with me about that. But what I'm saying is World War II U.S. Army doctrine was the private can take over for the sergeant if need be, generally right. speaking. We're not talking later in the war where there were a ton of draftees and stuff. You know what I mean? Um, well, nowadays it's two, you know, two levels up. Right. Well, so is, you're ready, so is, you're is what the, doctrine is. What you were saying about that is I feel like where the U.S. Army is now is where the German army was in World War mm-hmm. II when it comes to command. What you just said, something happens, they have to stop and f-ing sort it out. Something happened in the German army, they had to stop it. And not to, and for everybody that's listening, not the f-ing Blitzkrieg. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about freaking, you know, the the war in freaking Western Europe as a whole was just, there was a lot of stopping and waiting in the German army. Because they had to vote for somebody above them, you know? And I feel like that's what your analogy of saving Private Ryan is perfect. That's what the army's like now. The US the US military is like now they gotta wait. Well now there we have the per example with Russia in the early days of the Russian Ukraine yeah, war. Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. if you rely on procedure only, you know, if you don't allow any room for, you know, your leaders to adapt and you know, figure things out. And yeah. You're like, no, this is your ABCD. You only stick to that. You're going to fail. Yeah. Yeah. And that's well, another thing there. That's the difference in, in world war two, the U S army or Marines or whatever would pass down orders. They wouldn't be like, Hey, yes, you need to do this, 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 this is how you do it. This, 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 it would be, here's your objective. Get it done. Nowadays, there is so much micromanagement of every little task to get done by doctrine that there is no room for imagination there's no room for anything like that 
It's just you have to do it this way, and if you don't, Article 15. Right. Well, and what you were saying, Bush Platt, was how big the army is now. Like, you know, six, you're talking about, you You know, one of your side projects is you want to, you know, recreate the op order, essentially. Mm-hmm. But every single op order I've ever sat through, I fall asleep, no, not five, ten minutes, because it's 20 different levels wide, five rows deep. And you're like, I don't even know where my job is in this. And your commander is saying, hey, dude, are you awake? Yeah, but why are we talking about the weather in five days my mission ends in two like yeah that's because you know it's it's like going back we're talking about i I hate bringing up world war ii because it was 80 years ago but like it's going back to when when d-day happened overlord happened and they had everybody down to the lowest private understand the freaking sand tables and understand their objective and every unit around them so that that if they fell off target they could complete an objective Today's military, yeah. like, yeah, it's just there's no room for what well, you said, imagination. There's there's none. Like, and, and if you do, like you said, if you go off off order, boom, Article 15, because you weren't following an order. And it's just, and I'm re- I rewind back to what I said of 20 years of GWAT has turned all these officers and the people who are coming up with the orders. It's just everything's about them. And that, and that trickles down to your soldiers don't know how to do their job go let's go back to the field craft question soldiers don't know how to do their job they don't know how to make a fucking shelter because they're waiting for the vehicles to take them out of the field but they get left behind for three days in the rain and snow and then half the troop gets pneumonia because guys didn't know how to make a proper shelter just laying on the ground under a tarp like it's it's that and you aren't allowed to build a fire Right. And, and that's probably my buddy right across the street told me about he was at Fort Campbell and he said that last winter they were in the field and there was a winter storm and they got stuck out in the field for five days after a winter storm because no vehicles could come down to get them because of how much snow was on the ground. And their commanders told them they couldn't have a fire. Like they're in a training environment and they're stuck in the training environment. It's not even like it's a nominal thing where like the enemy's looking for you and the commander said you can't have a fire. Like, like, and that's a that's one of the big arguments I've had with people on Instagram about fieldcraft, about fire making. Is you wouldn't make a fire in X, Y, and Z. You can't tell me that the guys. We're not talking about Ukraine, where like the front lines where they have the fucking drones, but like guys in the Ukraine that are in the woods near the front or just in a in an area just where they're stationed aren't making fucking fires a bucket fire one way or another to keep warm you know i know you can't make a fire in a trench because it'll give your position away even though you're in a trench like the enemy knows where you are like you know what i mean and it's and well that, and it's so easy to 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 poke and to prod and to try to poke holes in someone's you know in someone's thought process or you know someone's training you know from across the keyboard but yeah, you're stuck on you know so you know some wilderness and some conflict, right? Would you rather potentially give your position away or freeze to death? And Choose, that's, and that's the thing. Freaking patrol bases up until the GWAT and and the way that guys have been taught patrol bases. And look, I'm not an expert. Blah blah blah. I do a lot of reading and I do a lot of practicing myself. But when it comes to a patrol base, if you're not on the front lines or even if you're in enemy territory but you're doing something like a long-range reconnaissance where like 
you're in the wilderness in an enemy area, you know, there's nothing wrong with making a fire to cook and keep your guys warm. As long as you're doing things to mitigate, you know, everybody talks about thermal this and fucking drones that. That's, it, it's a, the reality of modern war, but it's it's not, it's just what you said. People try to pick and poke at the things that you're saying. Like, would you would you rather have your guys freeze to death or, or make a fire and, oh no, there might be a heat signature for some asshole to pick up with thermals? Like, I'd rather have my guys be warm. And then at least when they're warm, they can react to contact. You know I what I mean? I think it's less about the, uh, the heat the heat signature, the thermal, rather it's more um, the light signature because the light from those fires can, no matter how small, can travel a great distance. Even if you have trees, it still casts that freaking huge, like, it lights those trees up. You can tell where there's a fire. And that's true. And that's that's another thing is, you know, I mean, I don't want to go into like a whole field crafting spiel, but like, if you you know, obviously obviously, we all know that fire casts light. But if you're in control of a fire uh, a patrol base, if you know that, you're going to have your guys do things to mitigate the cold and put out those fires potentially mm-hmm. before dark. Dry wood, less smoke during the day, not giving off a smoke signal, good to go. We can cook and keep our guys warm. So once it starts getting dark, how do we mitigate that light emission, right? What do you do? You can heat some rocks up and put them under yes. and have the guys. So I'm I, I generally... Don't ever bring a sleeping pad with me on any any of my outings. Why? Because it's bulky. It takes up room, and we're not we're not in a fucking, not in a combat environment. But like, you know, I can I can cut down a, a pile of spruce boughs, pine boughs, branches to lay on, and and when I'm done, kind of throw them around. I'm not. I don't have some enemy force tracking me. You know, you can do yeah. that with guys in a patrol base. Because if you're setting up a patrol base and you're utilizing fires to purify water, cook food, and for heat and, and sanitation, if you're relying on the fire to do those things, you, you're going to have to collect wood and firewood from around the area and the position you're in, which is going to leave a signature regardless. So who cares if yeah. you cut X, Y, and Z branches off? Um, yeah. But going back to what I was saying about the mitigating the light, you know, you've got guys who are bed down in like a, a on a, a bed of boughs. You just heat up some rocks and put them underneath there. It won't keep them warm all night, but they'll at least get some warm sleep when they're not on watch on 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 guard for the bed. You know, because you've got to cycle through. That's another thing. You know, guys who are walking around in a freaking circle around your position on guard are going to be warmer than guys that are just laying in their sleeping bag. You know. Mm-hmm. So, well, proper layering, I mean, as, you know, not so much for the light signature, but for smoke signature, at least, I think it's called a Dakota fire, mm-hmm. you know, where, you, where you dig underneath, you know, yeah. it makes a snow, smokeless fire, right? But um, And I love that, because every you know, freaking fire post I've ever made, there's always one guy commenting, gotta make yourself a Dakota fire. I was like, yes, <laughs> yes, you do. Yes. <laughs> Thanks a lot, buddy. Good job. But um, something I, I liked your comment about... Um, you know, you're not on the front line. So, you know, me and uh, Nomad Fieldcraft, we're working on a, uh, we're working on a project, a, uh, like a skills matrix kind of thing, right? Yeah. Uh, to try to apply for different guys, you know, things that they could be working on to, in order to fill, you know, different roles. But um, some uh, category that we're going to break things down into is 
whether you're in a preparatory phase or if you're in conflict. It's so right. being in a preparatory phase, right? Being in training, you know, you can make allowances for these things. Right? right. So you're not concerned with, you know, X, Y, and Z if you were actually, you know, in conflict or had the potential to be in conflict. So just thinking through your your context, right? Then that's and that's the thing is everybody's I mean, we were just talking about the beginning of this, about the different environments I'm in. My environments and my context, the way I do things may be completely different from somebody else, but that doesn't, right. and that doesn't negate it. Right. You know what I mean? And it doesn't negate that yeah. person's the view or the way that they do something. And, and that's, I think one of the biggest problems is people can't take suggestions and they feel yeah. like if, if it's not exactly, it goes along with what their thought process is. It's wrong. And well, that's like six said people have lost their creativity. They can't apply things. That and that, yeah, and that's that's the creativity and the imagination to be able to freaking just kind of come up with things. And like, I, uh, I took another another guy I met through Roadie's Plaid. He's in a sniper section, and we were just doing a walk, uh, a wash walk, over here in the Franklins. I I go down. I call it a wash walk. You go down. You kind of loop your way back down one of the washes because it's really hard the areas around the wash to like do anything because they're just sheer you know rock um and I, I i just what i remember from that was like he said multiple times because we were just talking about you know he's a sniper section concealment um ops stuff like that and i remember like three or four times him saying like oh wow i never thought about it like that and it's like well because it wasn't taught to him or it's not doctrine it's not something it's not a thought process and what you said about creativity it's just like We've created a, a force of just order, 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 or orders, orders, orders. And if it's not within that, we don't think outside the box. And it's so, it's a cliche phrase, blah, blah, blah. But you have to think outside the box if you want to one-up your enemy. In whatever context, yeah. in whatever scenario you're practicing your field craft for. You know? Like, you've got to be outside your box thinker. Like, I I don't know. Like, I'm I'm weird. Like, I grew up doing the bushcraft and fieldcraft stuff. Like, I use my fucking toes and my teeth as tools in, like, context even in today with, like, gear and rifles and, and, and just just in general. Like, I, I make my own paracord out of out of freaking AI. You can actually use the, the yucca is actually a pretty durable thing. It's really hard. But I, you freaking... Take the yucca, three strands, you make your own paracord. Three strands of yucca, you tie the end of it, you put the knot between your toes, and you just braid it. And you've got your own section of paracord. Right? So, like, who's teaching our infantrymen how to make their own paracord if they don't have it? And in what environment? Yucca for the desert here. Inner pine bark. Do you know that you can make cordage from inner pine bark, but you can also eat inner pine bark? Not for an extended period of time, because it's so fibrous that it does what it does to bears. So bears, when they're getting ready to hibernate, they eat pine bark, pine cones, and pine needles, and it creates that so that they don't for nine months or six months. And so <laughs> if, if a human eats too much inner pine bark, it'll constipate them. But in like a survival, in a survival, literally, it's a, it's nature's MRE. But you can, in a survival situation, you can utilize pine for almost anything. Pine sap is naturally antiseptic. So if you take pine sap and put it on a cut and then take some old man's beard, so um, Spanish moss, yeah, like moss, old, right? Which, which is, which is hair, old man's beard, 
that type of moss, and you wrap it around the cut that has the pitch on it, it's nature's band-aid and freaking neosporin. You can literally, pine is one of, because it's so, um, it has so much sap in it and the sap is so flammable, um, pine is one of the one woods that you can chop down and process in one day and burn it in the same day. But who's teaching the guys this? You know what I mean? What's the fucking phrase? Who's going to carry the boats? You know, who's going to build the fire? Like, if the guys don't know how to do it, and that's and yeah. that's going back to the whole you know putting fieldcraft into the the conflict setting is it's I think today now that GWA is quote unquote officially done it's more prevalent than ever more important that because you know how many how many of these Russian guys are left out with nothing and it's because their logistics fell behind them how 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 do we know that that's not going to happen with our guys you know. You get some Russian conscripts from inner Moscow who have never spent a day out in the woods and they're stuck in the woods in the Ukraine and their rations are expired and they're done with, you know, their food's done and there's no water, you know, and they go and they surrender. You know, I'm not saying that they shouldn't have, but, you know, but, you know, also that's not even just a strictly military context, but, you know, a majority of our listeners, I'm assuming I'll have the analytics for it, aren't, you know, active duty or aren't you know, Serbian, right. you know, are, or whatever military, right? They're civilians, right? And they're preparing for a militant context. If they have to pick up arms to defend themselves, their families, their communities, whatever. Right. So whatever scenario it for is. That, exactly. So if you're preparing for that, like, you know, you don't have that infrastructure, you know, you don't have those logistics. So you need to be preparing for this stuff. And that's, you and, need to be able to pick that up on your own. And that's that's the biggest thing, isn't it? It's the it's the logistics of it because I I put that in one of my YouTube videos. I think it's the the meat meat bush flag, which is meet Ian, and it was me just kind of mm-hmm. going over my history. But why I'm doing this because for civilians, not even active military or anything, when it comes down to it, you're practicing this with a group of guys who may be former or never been in the military, but you don't have a massive logistic network behind you. It is you and your little group, whether it's two, four, 10, 20 guys. It's just you. You don't have drones, you, a military industrial complex, drones, the, the Casavac, freaking resupply for any anything, resupply for anything, ammunition, food, water, fuel. You have to, you have to be self-sufficient on all of that whether you were in the military or not. And I've found that hillbillies from Tennessee are more reliant than, you know, a staff sergeant from freaking California who's been in the army for 12 years. You know what I mean? And it's just just this year. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. It's all you. Oh, I was just going to say like this last year, even. All right. So last, last, uh, I think it was February. You know, Texas had the freeze. I lost power for four days in three degree weather with my wife and a one year old in my house. I had everybody go in the living room, set up a tent. I had a fire going for four days around the clock, waking up all hours of the night, keeping that thing roaring, cracked the stones all the way up in my fireplace, keeping it going. So we didn't freaking freeze to death in 2022. And this is that was that was the Texas freeze. 
Yeah, that was the day. Or, or I, I guess it would have been twenty twenty one, right? Yeah, twenty one. Yeah, twenty February twenty one. Yeah. That that when that happened, yeah. that's when we moved, we moved across the state of Texas while that storm was happening. When we Goodness. got here to El Paso, the the Home Depot and the Lowe's were sold out of firewood, and and it, I know it's bad to do it, but it, people in the, from the city don't understand. They were sold. They sold out all their wood, pressure treated, and their firewood yeah, because. Everything. The power was out, and it was it was as what you just said. It was it was bad. Like thank God we were because mm-hmm. the military housing here at least has its own grid because they have to keep things yeah. up and running. But like there are people out in town without power for almost two weeks, and they were fucking you know Crazy. burning water and melting ice, uh, burning <laughs> burning wood and and melting ice for water because a lot of the um, water mains here froze. And it's like how do you prepare Crazy. for that as a civilian? You know? When I was checking on, so I had two old, I have two old elderly neighbors. I had one, you know, two elderly neighbors, and they stayed in bed the whole time because they just moved from California. They didn't have anything for cold, so they stayed in bed in some sleeping bags the entire the whole time. Could you imagine? The other neighbors, God. the gentleman had a shoulder surgery, biffed it on on the pavement in his driveway. I had to check on him, make sure he was okay. Their dog needed sutures taken out before he got infected. Like, it. A- a- anything, anything could happen. I mean, six just you know lived through a you know yet another hurricane in Florida, ripped up his yard, ripped up his state. I mean, this stuff is so <laughs> close to you; it's so close to you every single day, and people don't think about it. And it's, it, people are so far removed. It, they are. It's, people are so uh, so absorbed with their small world around them. Like we were saying about how people won't go without go out of their thirty minute bubble, but people are so removed that. What's what's the meme? It's a picture of a white pick a family with a white picket fence, and it's people are so used to this being their reality, and then the next picture is just some Eastern European soldiers shooting AKs in a in a rubble building. Um, people are so used to this being reality when, and then the next picture, this is the actual reality of the world where things can flip on a dime like this, and people aren't ready for it. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And people are... And- well, I think same sort of meme I saw, it was like, this is a blip. This is a, a freak accident in the, you know, in the time frame of the world. Like, yeah, you if, you live think, in- if you think about, if you think about the history of the world, regardless of how old you think it is, let's just condense it to the last 5,000 years. The amount of things that have happened in the last 5,000 years to the amount of things that have happened since... 1950 is insane. There's got to be a there's got to be a reason everything's happening right now, whether it's good or bad. Mm-hmm. But there's got to be a reason why everything has happened in the last hundred years, like the the advances in technology in the last hundred years over the history of mankind. There's got to be a reason. Is it are we gonna are we gonna like you just said this is a blip? Are we gonna are we gonna take that blip and then kind of like keep progressing? humanity and society or is it a blip up and then you know back down to rubble and freaking warring tribes well have have you ever read uh one second after or yeah it was one second after i forgot the author yeah so it's a book about if a emp were to oh yeah i remember i remember i remember when that was a big thing when fucking uh north korea finally got their quote-unquote nuclear capability Everybody was like, yeah. all North Korea's got to do is send a nuke up over North America and detonate it in the atmosphere. 
and it'll cause an EMP from freaking mid-Canada all the way down to the Panama Canal. And that's scary. Because in the first six months... It's terrifying. It's the first six months... Uh, I'm not going to say half, because that's a lot of people. A lot of people are going to die solely because no food, water. How many people How many people go to the, the hospital of what, once a week for some type of treatment? They're all done. How many people are on liver, cardiac, oh, dude. You know, endocrine medications? First, think first about six after months. After an EMP went off, think about how many people are in the air. Oh, that's true. How many people are in the freaking, like in airplanes and, and, and traveling and whatnot? Because it's yeah, tens of thousands every day. trains or whatever. Yeah. I mean, yep. but yeah, all the, like that was the book. That's what the book highlight was. Everybody in airplanes dead. Yeah. Everybody who is, you know, relying on like liver medication or cardiac medication, you know, after they run out, they're dead. Nothing for it. Right. Because, because yeah, because in the, those first six months, everybody who's, everybody who is, um, on a medication or freaking think about pregnant mothers. Think about anybody who's pregnant. The, you know, the infant mortality rate is going to go back to what it was freaking. Oh my God. You know, a hundred years ago, the infant mortality rate, everybody who's going to have a kid. What, what was the infant mortality rate? More than 50%. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, you posted that. I, I, I reshared that because that's, that's the kind of shit people need to read and understand. Appreciate it. Where there is no doctor. Do you want to wrap it up with the what's the biggest um, mis, uh, misconception about recce? Yeah, I mean, like, so in your experience, because you got you have a lot more, uh, you know, a lot more followers, a lot more interactions than you know we do. I would assume daily. So, what do you what do you find are the big you know the biggest misconceptions that people have with you know recce or field craft or you know whatever people call it, just in in how they need to you know get prepared. Like, where are people missing the mark on that? I think that I feel like with recce, though, like, people are thinking it's force on force. Like, they're, they're thinking right. they're going to be mountain men going through and just, like, doing, like, all this, like, SFs, like, you yeah, know, Navy SEAL stuff in the mountains of Tora Bora. Like, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm assuming that's probably what it's going to be is the biggest mis- misconception. It's going to be that. And that's, and that's the, that's the, your skills, uh, skills over gear is, is, mm-hmm. A million times, you know, everything I practice that I post, the things that I'm practicing for, or not even practicing for, but practicing for scenarios, whatever, you, whatever title you want to give it, all the stuff I practice with my field craft is is based off of long range type, um, long range reconnaissance and and sustainability. Just doing recon, it has nothing to do with direct action. It has nothing to do with force on force. It has to do with and, and this is this is what Reckies, the South African reconnaissance commandos, the Reckies, the majority of the stuff that they did in a reconnaissance role was to get in far into like Angola or Mozambique, get in, find out the information they needed to without being seen, and then get out with fire without firing a single fucking shot. That's why they would wear um, the copy camouflages of what the terrorists. The, the insurgents would wear because uh, and then they would um, black up their faces they would do the uh, it was called black is beautiful camouflage paint Ca- black is beautiful camouflage cream 
And so people, and that's, that's I hate that. I post pictures of that recce guys in, in the black camouflage paint. And somebody always has to fucking comment, oh, look, it's Justin Trudeau or blackface. And I just delete it because that's the kind of stuff that freaking the algorithm will look at, right? So anyway, so what they would do is they would wear those copy camouflages and they would paint themselves black because at 100 yards, you look like another African insurgent. And they would just walk past enemy patrols and keep going towards their objective, which was some type of reconnaissance, a dam that they were to recce. A, uh, a so recce is short for reconnaissance slash reconnoiter. It's, it's just doing, right, doing a quick recce is they get out, they go and they look at something, right? And it's this, the whole like recce rifle thing, the misconception is there is no such thing as a fucking recce rifle. The, the recce's, the South African recce's, the Zulu scouts, these guys who were in two-man reconnaissance teams went and did that job with an AK, iron sights, with six mags. They didn't have a suppressor and an LPVO and a, and a, a light and a laser or anything like that. So it's just, the point. that there's your misconception. That's yeah. your misconception. That the recce rifle is anything other than a name moniker. It has nothing to do with... Because true reconnaissance, and that's what I practice. And that's why a lot of the time when I go out, I'm not going out and I'm, shoot, I'm not shooting. I'm going for a, 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 a kit hike, a kit ruck, a wash walk. I'm going to do those things. In, in in the practice of not being seen, gathering intelligence, re reconnoitering an area, whether the enemy's there or not, and not firing a shot. You know how many times I go out and I don't shoot my gun? And I, I'm like, I haven't shot my gun in like four months. I need to go to the range, check my zero, because I beat my rifle, my, my main rifle. I beat that up more just going out and doing stuff than I do like actually shooting it, you know? And those are that's that kind of piggybacks off those memes I make of making fun of you know it's more important to know how to make a shelter and a fire than your freaking split times, you know, and your and your yeah. freaking draw times because twenty years of GWAT. There's your there's your mis, there's a misconception. It does isn't a recce misconception, but it's just a misconception that twenty years of GWAT. Everybody thinks that how fast you move and shoot is important. To me, how far you can move. And how long you can stay there is more important than anything. Because, you know, you get you get a guy with eyes on target that can sit in an OP and be self-sustaining for weeks at a time. What's his name? There was a Zulu scout from, from Rhodesia. His name's Chris Schulenberg. He he left when Rhodesia fell in 80. He went to South Africa um, and joined the Reckies in South Africa. But when he was in the Zulu scouts... He was on the Zulu Scout Recce Troop, and they specialized in two-man reconnaissance patrols. So he had a, a, a black Native African soldier and a, a white European-descended soldier who would, who would wear the camouflage and the black paint. And these two guys would go into Zambia or Mozambique for weeks at a time, just the two of them, to conduct reconnaissance by themselves. They'd carry 90 pounds worth of gear with a high-frequency radio, food they now like the the rhodesian sas would get resupplied every 14 days these loose small teams would go in and they'd bring stuff in for four or six weeks just two guys jesus so chris schulenberg he he holds and it's not even like a real record but from 
from all the reading and the, the veterans I've talked with, he holds the record for the world's longest one-man reconnaissance. He went into Mozambique for seven weeks on his own. Goodness. He was behind and wow. uh, behind enemy lines. He was on his own in Mozambique for seven weeks doing reconnaissance on bridges and roads by himself. <laughs> now, ta- ta- tell me what kind of imagination and ingenuity that motherfucker had to make it seven weeks on right. right? So that's that. That's that misconception. People think that they're tricked out rifle and their freaking you know pack with a sleeping pad on it, and and potentially I'm not judging. I'm not saying, but potentially unnecessary gear for a long range recce bullshit is, is not reality. Now, who am I to question the reality? I'm just me. I'm just saying from a, uh, uh, retro, um, third person looking at, in at them, a lot of guys don't focus on the proper things, you know, like here in the Southwest, I coming from new England. I never had more than two or three canteens on me here. The most I've ever carried is three and a half gallons. That's almost 30 pounds of water just yeah, in the kit. That was, you see this funny thing. I'll, I'll, I'll throw this, I'll throw this out there because it, because people keep bringing it up and, and trying to make fun of me for it. In August, I went up to the organs. The weather was supposed to be 95, partly cloudy with a breeze. It ended up being 102. Sun, no breeze. I made it mm. about three quarters of a mile to the area, cl- to, towards the area where I, my goal was to get to this area, set up an OP area. I brought it. I had an empty day pack I had rolled up on my main pack with three. With, that was with the three and a half gallons of water. I got, I got three quarters of a mile in and it was a hundred. I, I couldn't stop sweating and uh, I didn't know it was going to be that hot. I had all that gear on. And everywhere I stopped to put my shit down, there were fire ants or small ants in the area where I wanted to make my OP. So I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? I'm supposed to be doing this for fun. This is me. So I was by myself. I'm supposed to be setting up a OP by myself, observing this campground and this road just as practice. I'm going to spend the night out. I brought my own. I brought a small tent. I wasn't going to like lay out, you know, I, I had all a ton. I had. 70 pounds worth of gear with 30 pounds of water, you know, so I had everything, right? And I got there, I couldn't stop sweating. I wasn't replenishing my electrolytes and my sodium fast enough. And the the ants were all over people, people making fun of, you know, can't take, take a bunch of ants. Well, you come out here next, you come out here this August and we'll go up to the organs and I'll show you that even, even if I made a place and set up my tent, they're the small fire ants. They're going to crawl through the fucking zipper or they're going to be all over my because I would put I put my rig down and my rifle down to go kind of like, look, like, can I find a place with shade with no ants? By the time I came back, everything was covered in little ants. That's yeah. not fun. It's, a, it's part of this training thing, too, is it's supposed to be fun. You're supposed to enjoy learning and training. And I was like this. I'm done. I'm gone. And, and it was a very long three quarters of a mile back to the van my van with all that gear and stuff halfway back i was like i'm going back to the car what the fuck am i carrying three gallons of water for and i just dumped two and a half gallons of it because i was like knowing my luck i'm gonna fall over and break my ankle and i'm gonna need some water right and so i got back to my car and i i i didn't even own up 
I didn't even own it. I just made a post with a preface at the beginning with yet again, another in your face lesson about dehydration in the Southwest. And people just can took it as this fat retard, LAR, uh, Rhodesian LARPer couldn't handle a night out in the woods. And uh... that's just the, sh- yo, I'll, I'll, I'll throw it out there. I'll, I'll throw names out there. Cause I just talking with my buddies. I don't give coniferous origins. That guy, he, you, I, 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 he had said some, he had said some stuff a while back, but the, this most recent stuff that he said, um, when I made that meme about keeping religion and politics out of your fucking training and and your like, your just your craft, and it just upsets these Catholic boys like they get so upset about it. And he made like a it was legitimately directed at me personal attack, and I was like, Fuck you mother, I'm gonna call you out, and I did. I called him out in my story, and and I God. had. I had probably not kidding 50 DMs from people Goodness. being like that guy those <laughs> those guys <laughs> like you know and it's just it's it's I, I don't the phrase keyboard warriors is just kind of overused but it's just like I feel like half these people that say stuff to you on social media in person wouldn't say a fucking word you know cuz you're you're hiding by look yeah. I was anonymous on Rhodey's plaid for the first nine months, but I was more worried about because of Rhodesia and that kind of mm-hmm. thing that it, the synod, things that are synonymous with it. I was anonymous. And then I finally was like, what the fuck am I hiding? You know, cause at that point I was like sharing more about history and guns and stuff at that period of time with Ro- the Rhodey's plaid. And I, yeah. I changed, I, I got rid of my anonymity and, um, you know, these guys who still run these pages, like Coniferous Origins, who blurs their face out like they're some t- tier one operator and, and they don't want people to know them. Dude, if you're blurring it out because you don't want freaking Instagram to know who you are, you're an idiot. Because they know what you look like. When you when you open up the when you open up the gallery on your phone uh, on Instagram and it has access to all your photos, Instagram has all your photos. They can look at all your photos on your phone, including those pics. Like it's, it's not a freaking. it's, it's not, to, you laugh. Doth thou think it's thy jest? I don't. They, they know what you look like. The whole anonymity thing is just trying to be cool. And at this day and age, G Watts done. It's not cool. Chill out. We get it. You were a reservist in the Marine Corps. You were a commo guy. You think nods make you a God, but it it doesn't, and and that's and there's your misconception with the recce thing is skills over gear. Guys think that they drop three grand on a pair of fucking nods, and it gives them a superpower and it makes them a god. It doesn't. It it's just an extra cool piece of kit. And I said this on the podcast with um, the first response fieldcraft guys, and I'll say this with the nod thing. John Stryker Myers, who was in the RT or RT Idaho in Vietnam, he was a SOG guy. At night, what did they do? They stopped and they sat down and they didn't move until first light. Because when you're in an enemy area, when you're in an in a, a am I going to use this phrase right? A non-permissive environment, the last thing you need to do is bumble around in the dark, whether you have nods or not, because the enemy, that's their home turf. Mm-hmm. And they'll know 
every which way that you're going to go or that they're going to come at you. So what did the RT guys do? They just sat down, in a, in a, depending on what was behind them, in a semicircle or in a circle with their back against a tree, with their, with their rifle facing out, and they just fucking sat there till first light. And then they continued on the mission. And now, I have knots. They're, they're, they're NVG7s. They're, they're old school. They're two to one. But they're better than nothing. But in this environment, I, I haven't been in a single environment here in the Southwest where I'd like want to go for a walk, not on a trail, because there are so many dips and washes and cactuses. Your white phosphorus dual tubes aren't going to show you that tiny little cactus that's going to poke you in the leg and make you scream like a girl and give the position away. So, well, so skills over gear, you, you, you need to freaking you need, people need to focus on their individual skills. Like what we said earlier. And like what I harp on fire making, water purification, shelter making, you need to be proficient in that before you worry about dropping thousands of dollars on a, on a, on a item, whatever it is, whether it's a rifle or an optic or nods, but it, you know, uh, you know, gear don't maketh man. Skills maketh me, you know, the, from the movie, man is maketh man. It's a skills maketh mm-hmm. man. Gear doesn't make a man, you know, and it's just, it's sad that you've got guys who think that owning a specific piece of kit is, is going to give you an advantage on the battlefield potentially just, I don't know, I don't know where it comes from. I don't know where that whole nod debate, nods debate came from. It, I think it's one a lot of these debates I think are just, and, and this isn't, this isn't satirical. This isn't, you know, I'm not making fun, of, but I think it just pops into somebody's fucking head and they go with it. And because it's their idea, they just kind of roll with it. And like, they can't backtrack on their own idea. Does that make sense? Like they have loyalty yeah. to their own idea. Like Jesus, God, nods, make me a God. And they post it. And then people start bashing. It's like, well, I thought about it. It's my idea. I can't kind of like backpedal on it because it's, I'd be well, backpedaling like, oh, on if myself. If you don't have, if you don't have nods, you're not combatant. Don't, 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 just... don't. Yes, it's let silly. me go. Let me go. Sew your pants and make you dinner. You, f- like, bro. But th- that... you know, and but what you're saying though, the only reason, the only reason this can be a debate, this can be, you know, people can be shouting this out from the other side of the internet, is because we live in such a cush, cush life right now. No, that that's it. That, that really Our life is... is so easy. If you actually had to worry about half the stuff, you, it, it, it wouldn't even enter your brain. It would not. No. Because it is so far removed from reality. Yeah. I guarantee those guys, if they ever got into a force on first conflict and they had their nods, they would get clapped. Because, I mean, if their land navigation specialist learned nav- land navigation from Arma, no. No, for one, you are not the end all be all. You are not him. Any of these things. You are not him. Yes, exactly. Exactly. The only thing that's going to happen to those guys, if they think they're going to be warlords, is they're going to go into their first engagement and get clapped and lose their nods. Exactly. But that's the thing too. Like, and that's why I hate the whole warlord, you know, fantasy as well. If all you have to bring to the table is the fact that you're a fighting age male like with a single useful, piece of man. with a single piece of gear <laughs> yeah like if all you have is like hey i can fight you're not useful man hate to tell you well it's but there's it's, a lot of fighting age males around here 
It's true. <laughs> it's skill, so literally, bad. Skills over gear. Every oh time. God. Always. It's, it's bad enough is, when you see you... those. Go ahead, man. Sorry. I was just going to say, because that's the thing. Skills over gear, always. If you want a, you know, if you want an example, you know, have, you know, you against some, you know, Joshmo kid out of college who doesn't know crap, right? Hand each of you a rifle. Right? Who's more proficient? Okay, hand each of you a pack or, you know, whatever, right? right? But even take my rifle away, give it to the kid. I'm still more effective than that kid. Right. Yep. Because I've invested in the skill set. Exactly. You know, I, and I, and in my head, like, I know the ramifications of this. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, oh, 100%. Like, it's just, it, it's just the consumer, the, the consumer. That's what mindset. it is. And, it, and it's, it's going to kill that, so many people. And I mean, that's just, that's another rabbit hole with consumerism in this. I hate to use, I oh, hate the God. phrase industry, but it's just mm. it's not you know what it's not even really worth shedding or shedding light on or like the time of day because everybody has their own opinion on the this I hate I hate the phrase industry just guns gear community military. sure <laughs> but you know community. it's just, we'll call it, it's it's the easy way to do it I know what you mean but it's just kind of like you know it's just. Yeah, it's just people people think spending that much spending a lot of money means that they've gained something. When in reality if you don't have the the you don't know how to apply it properly, it's worthless. Three thousand dollar rifle is worthless if you don't actually know how to shoot. And and sh- and but what I mean by that is shooting fast in your draw times doesn't mean you know how to shoot. I'm talking about like actual marksmanship and like applicable shooting. Reactive shooting as well. Like you know, it's not always going to be the 25. You're going to need my Rangers on the 25-yard line. Like, it isn't always the 25-yard line. Like, you know. But what and, about manual of arms, maintenance? I mean, yeah, weapons familiarization, something we touched on way, way early in the podcast. But, you know, say you don't have an AR-15 at your, at your disposal. Right. You know what I mean? Can you pick up an AK power and rifle and use it? I did. I did a. I did a right before my buddy when he went to Korea. Right as right after the um, war in Ukraine kicked off, freaking. Um, I did a Eastern European camouflage and weapons familiarization lesson class for him with him for his platoon, and I. I said. Awesome. I said to. I said to the the platoon, how many of you have ever handled the AK platform? Two of them raise their hands, and this oh, is a pl- this is I a thought. platoon of Jesus. infantrymen in the army. How many of you ever handled an I mean, AK? I said, I, and I said, not shoot, but just handled an AK, a Kalashnikov. Two of them raise their hand. There's your weapons familiarization, and that's why I don't that's think why we had I had any, huh? I don't think we had any when we deployed to Afghanistan. It's, in, it's insane because it's it's the second most prevalent in. Uh, intermediate cartridge rifle in the i don't want to use assault weapon <laughs> the intermediate cartridge rifle in the united states it goes ar ak <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's it's not that rare yeah it's pretty easy to find somebody with an ak but yeah see yeah. the big question is what's the third what's the third honestly <laughs> i wouldn't uh, the sks you know how many bubba's got an sks thinking they can run it fast because they got that that Quick detach thirty round Tapco magazine. 
The Clippersine. What about the foul? Oh my god. You know, the thing with the foul is that 762 is just it's expensive, so it's so hard to feed a foul mm. unless you have a lot of money. You know what I mean? Cuz like you go to the range yeah. and you go through 100 rounds. That's well over $100 just for those 100 rounds. You know what I mean? And the foul the foul the problem with the foul is there's so many mix-matched uh metric and inch pattern rifles and magazines that like when you come to, when you talk about parts inter uh, compatibility it's it really isn't the same as like the AR or the AK because the foul is just there are so many different models and variants of it and some of and a lot of the things don't go together right plus plus it's technically a battle rifle because it's 762 like the what is it the foul the the scar heavy and the M14 and what's the other battle rifle? Galil. The well, there's a Galil heavy, right? The 7.62 Galil, which I mean, yeah, I guess that technically makes it a it makes it a freaking um, battle rifle in 7.62. But I digress. What are you doing? Talk about expensive cartridges. 300 blackout. Oh god. Six five Grendel. Oh god. <laughs> that, that's a, I mean, that is an intermittent cartridge. Good lord. I don't know why you do it to yourself. I cringe every time I go to the range. I do. Just be a man. Get a grand. <laughs> Dude, I would if they weren't like five freaking grand. Yeah, they've gone up in the last couple of years. It's dumb. And, and 30 out 6 is expensive to feed something. Like, if you really want to have fun with like the H car. You imagine owning an H car, like a box of ammo, 20 no. rounds is like 30 some bucks. Yeah, no, no thanks. Well, you know, I think that's all the points we really had time for tonight, but thanks a lot for coming on the show, man. Of course. It's dude. been, it was a lot of fun and you know, you're a wealth of knowledge. We'd love to have you on again, but yeah, yeah. Every, Hey, Hey, look, I'm a stay at home dad. I'm free. <laughs> I'm free whenever you guys are free. All right. Well, we'll definitely let you know. It's just, I... You know, people, I, I really believe people need more of this. People just need no-nonsense conversations on, you know, really taking a step back and a more down-to-earth perspective of quit worrying about, you know, what kind of camo you're wearing. Can you start a fire? Can you find water Right. before you have to worry about purifying it? Exactly. You know, just, uh, and especially I'd love to talk about, <clears throat> excuse me, I'd love to talk about more, um, you know, figure out training as a, as a family man, you know, as a father and a husband, yeah. you know, and what that means for you and your family, you know, which we didn't really have time for tonight, but, yeah. um, you know, just really appreciate your, your perspective and, you know, take your time Absolutely. to come on the show. Of course. Guys. So where can people, where can people find you and your, and your content? So it's, um, at Bush plaid on Instagram. Um, and, uh, it's plaid's channel on YouTube. And, um, I had, I had the plaid's channel, I kept a plaid because I didn't want to save Rody's plaid channel because I knew one day I'd get, I'd get the Zuck. So, um, Bush yeah, plaid get nuked. and plaid's channel. It's unfortunate. And, um, yeah, that's it. I'm, I'm not on Facebook and I don't have a Tic Tac or whatever the kids call it these days. <laughs> the Tic Tac. <laughs> the Tic Tac. I really, I really well, appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah. Thanks yeah, for man, coming. It's been on. great talking to you. And of course we're, Hard Time Strong Men, you find us on Instagram at Hard Time Strong Men Podcast or you can email us at htsmpodcast at gmail.com. We're the Hard Time Strong Men Podcast. 
making a better class of man. So thanks for coming on, man. Really appreciate you. Thank you, guys. Thank you.